I swap out words like degeneration for adaptation, right? It's super important to describe it in a different way that gives your body the power back. When I've described that to many people, it blows them away because as an example, degeneration makes everyone feel like they're falling apart and disintegrating, right? And that's not a great feeling to have. When you walk out of the office and you think I'm degenerating, I'm falling apart, you're already glass half empty. Whereas if I highlight that those changes are occurring in your body because of innate intelligence, then it's like, hang on a minute, my body is adapting to the stress that I've continuously put on it. Wow, what if I stimulated it different and it could adapt in a different way? Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials. Here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. This week, we have a gorgeous chiropractor on the show, Dr. Adam Epscamp. It was his own chiropractor, Dr. Stacey Burke, who initially encouraged this gorgeous soul to consider a chiropractic pathway as his career because he was originally studying being a mechanical engineer. And it was the thought of helping people to improve their health and affecting change the way that his own chiropractor had inspired him, that within six months, Adam was sitting in his first class at Murdoch University in Western Australia. After five years of study, Dr. Epscam emerged with a Bachelor of Science in Chiropractor, a Bachelor of Chiropractor with Honours, and has been practicing ever since. But this incredible soul doesn't just end with his knowledge there. He has such a passion for health and fitness and supporting people in their health and wellness journey. So he has well been revered in the fitness industry as well, where he has worked as a fitness instructor since 2007, currently as a Les Mills master trainer. And he also specializes training in selective functional movement assessments and functional movement screens, which I think is a really powerful way for all of us to understand how our body works and also understanding when it's not working or is in a space of dysfunction. And you'll find out today in today's beautiful podcast that this amazing man has a really gorgeous insight, understanding his engineering expertise, along with the biomechanics, chemistry and physiology of the body. And then even at the end, his love and appreciation for wine and why being curious is such an important part of his world. I know you're going to love today's show, and I look forward to hearing your comments and feedback on my Instagram page, Kim Morrison28, on my Facebook page, Kim Morrison Training, and you can go to thewellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast. Please don't forget to follow beautiful Dr. Adam Epscamp at his Silverback Chiropractic. You're going to love the information he puts out, a gorgeous man inside and out. I cannot wait for you to hear today's interview. Take care. Be kind. And once again, I am very proud and delighted to welcome not only an incredible soul, but a dear friend, someone who I've come to fall more and more in love and like with his work, his approach to life, and certainly the way he, I would say, investigates and looks at things. So welcome to the Self Love Podcast, gorgeous Adam Epscam. Thank you very much, Kim. Thank you very much for having me on board. 
Well, it's such a delight to have you, especially over the last few months as you've got to know Danny and I more and more with looking after us. You're a doctor of chiropractic. You are someone who actually learns and knows a lot about the body and has a real interest from an athlete's point of view, which I really love. But before we get into your approach to chiropractic, perhaps you could give us a little background as to who you are, what led you on this journey and brought you to doing what you're doing today. Yeah. It's, um, it was a roundabout journey, which I suspect most people would have. But, um, and I tell this story often as a trainer and presenter for Les Mills, I get the fortunate um, position of sharing my fitness journey with a lot of people. And um, as, a, as a teenager, mum was great. She was very supportive and um, got us doing a whole bunch of activities. I was doing basketball and bodyboarding were my two passions, but um, she made us do surf life saving and um, football and all sorts of stuff as well. Plus, we were just active kids, you know. Um, I think kids of the 90s knew how to ride a BMX bike around town and knew the general rules of being home by uh, the time the streetlights came on. So um, we were super active kids. And come the end of high school, I... Um, I fell in love with the idea of ordering food and alcohol from the car, right? I thought that was the bee's knees. I thought that was fantastic. And um, accordingly, I, I turned into quite a big boy. And um, by the time I was about 19, I was about 115 kilos. So I was um, bigger than I am now, let's just say. And um, there was a, a certain event that kind of triggered me to, to take action, um, living and growing up in the southwest of Western Australia, um, loved bodyboarding down there. And um, there was a day at, down Yelling Up Way, which is just a, a most spectacular part of the world. Um, it was it was one of those days you dream of as a kid, like big swell, perfect conditions, not very many people out. And um, I paddled out and I was breathless and blue in the face by the time I got out there. And... Um, for a lot of my friends at that stage, at 19 years of age, we're to be surfing now, you know, and um, which is ludicrous, right? Knowing what we know now, that's ludicrous. But I had a few friends that stopped surfing because they were unfit for it. Um, but I decided at that point, I said, I'm going to have to do something here that um, honours my health and um, allows me to do the things that I love doing. So... That was kind of the moment where I decided it was time to go get some help. And um, so I contemplated life in the water there for about 15 minutes, paddled back in and, um, and then drove from yelling up to a suburb in Perth called Craigie, went to Craigie Leisure Centre, walked straight in. I still had sand on my feet, the whole thing, and um, asked the front counter for help. I said, hey, I need help. My fitness is um, affecting what I love to do. And, um, and then that afternoon I came back and, and met two PTs who took me through my first fitness appraisal. And that was kind of the event or the points where it all changed for me. I was otherwise very mathematically minded and started university um, studying mechanical engineering, um, which I was very good at in that first year. But um, I decided to, to shift focus after that and turn my attention to, to health and fitness and eventually was in my chiropractor's office one day and um, was 
just like verbally going through my decision-making process and thinking, oh, I'd love to be a PT because I could help people, but maybe I should do human movement or maybe I should do physiotherapy or kinesiology or um, I just don't know what to do. And he's like, well, you've been seeing me as a chiropractor for the last five years and, you know, why don't you go and check out chiropractic? And I said, oh, I'm not smart enough to be a doctor. And he said, smart enough to be a doctor. So um, that's eventually how I got into chiropractic. So six months after that conversation, I ended up um, at Murdoch University in Western Australia studying chiropractic. And then I thought, missed opportunity to get through university, I should be a fitness instructor as well. So went back and did my Cert 3 and, and became a fitness instructor and have uh, represented Les Mills ever since, really. So I started as an RPM instructor while going through university and um, the journey to here, that was 15-odd years ago. So that's how I got into the health and fitness. It's, it's an incredible one, but something I'd love to go back to, which I'm curious around how and what do you think happens in someone's mind or life to create the words in their head, I need help, and then not only I need help, but to then take action. Because a lot of people know they need help, I, but then they don't take action. I think I had strong role models in my parents. Um, Mum came from a pretty tough part of the world in New Zealand, and um, she was super determined. Um, she got out of town and um, met my father, and eventually they were going to go and um, travel around Europe. Of course, back then that was about uh 1979 about there and um i think um west australia was doing quite well as far as the mining industry goes so they left new zealand went to perth with the intent of saving up some money and they enjoyed perth quite a bit and and then i showed up right and um so i stopped their trip to europe for about i think it was about 25 years before they got over there but um having grown up mum was the kind of lady that if you challenged her, um, she would respond to that, right? And uh, there was one time I remember we were in primary school and she bought, like, we'd, she'd been saving up for this couch for the family and um, got this nice couch, which I still remember, and, um, and the company actually went bankrupt. And so they had her money and they had a couch and she talked to the liquidators and they were like, it's gone. Don't worry about it. You've lost your money. You lost lost your couch. Too bad. So sad. And she was like, no, nah, not accepting that. And so she worked her butt off, rang the right people, spoke to the right people, and she got a couch. And it was just similar things like that all the way through my childhood where I was like, you know, if you really want something, you'll move heaven and earth to go get it. And um, And I think that conditioning was probably the difference between myself and some of my uh, friends uh, when they got to that stage of their life where the going got tough, they just chucked the towel in. Um, and I could have. I could have very easily continued my life eating food and drinking booze from my car. But um, I was like, no, there's, there's more to this. You know, I love surfing and I don't want to give that up. And so um, that was the trigger was 
was having that switch in my brain. And I thank mum for that every single time I tell that story because because um, she led the way. She was a great role model for me to to get after what you want. And if, if that means asking for help, um, that that was one of those decisions you had to make. So that, that's how I got there. I love it. And probably a little bit of Kiwi uh, guts and determination as a part of you too, just saying. Yeah, this. <laughs> I'm confu- I tell everyone I'm confused. So um, I often get caught up for saying jandals. And, um, are you Kiwi? I was like, well, I-, I was born in Australia but raised like a Kiwi, so I'm confused. You know? <laughs> Beautiful blend, I'd say. Um, <laughs> yeah. Back to your mechanical engineering, you've got a mathematical brain. You understand um, physics by the sound of things. You've probably got a good insight into chemistry. How on earth do you think or do you think there is a similarity with engineering as opposed to the way the human body is engineered? And if so, what are the similarities or the differences? Yeah, super interesting. I um, went down, for those that are more familiar and, and love the chiropractic paradigm, there's obviously very different versions of chiropractic as you, as you um, meet different practitioners. Uh, but the one I was drawn to really early on, right at the start of my um, chiropractic college, was a technique called Gonstead, which is very structurally based. Um, and they love using X-rays and motion palpation, or you know, using your hands, um, instrumentation, so measuring things um, to determine which areas to work on the best. And as it turned out, um, I was fortunate enough to work with. Um, a couple of very great chiropractors early on in Western Australia. Um, Ray Murphy was one who'd flown over from New South Wales and Noel Patterson were just amazing practitioners. And um, turns out both of them had um, a history in engineering as well, right? And so, um, and then they went on to tell me how many other chiropractors had a history in engineering as well. And just that for a lot of engineers, it made sense that structure affects function. And so if the structure isn't doing what it is ideally designed to do, then you're, you're going to come up with problems. So that was, that was the structural component of it. Um, the chemical side of stuff, it's I, – I, I took advantage of, um, of learning of as much of that as I could. My, most of my classmates were like, we're never, ever going to need to know this, right? Where, you know, the biochemistry, like understanding the Krebs cycle and um, all the different um, chemical reactions that happen in the body. And I was fascinated from an athletic point of view. We had a really great lecturer who taught the biochemistry and um, he he was a marathon runner. So he talked about it in the sense of endurance training. And so that was quite foreign to me being, I went from being a big kid to um, being a, a meathead. Essentially I did a lot of bodybuilding. So it was a very foreign concept to me, but I was like, this guy's applying biochemistry to um, endurance training. So that must work um, in the context of, of bodybuilding. So I started looking at it from, from that point of view. And then, the more I learned about it, the better that served me later as a chiropractor. Um, I came out of chiropractic college and um, probably didn't use as much chemistry as I thought um, I was going to, but then um, then I studied pediatric chiropractic and then that was 
that was a big shift because a lot of the things we saw in the pediatric population were were chemically based, like food intolerances and you know even skin intolerances from rashes to to nappy rash to um, eczema and um, then what eczema would look like internally as asthma. But um, and then we you know sort of came across a lot more of the chemical management in pediatrics. And it occurred to me that all the same stuff I was seeing in the pa- uh, pediatric population was still happening in the adult population. And so um, I invested more time and energy into, um, and this is probably just more self-guided research. And um, I, I'm, I'm super pleased I did all that hard work at university, remembering all those mundane things like the Krebs cycle and glycolysis and gluconeogenesis and all those things that, help us generate energy and then all the um, metabolites that happen off that and understanding where they all come from. So um, understanding the toxicity that's associated with just general uh, metabolism in the body. So the chemistry came later, but the structure came first. It is a fascinating thing for most of us that unless something goes wrong, we don't tend to pay too much attention. And if I can be so bold, we take for granted how incredible our bodies truly are. Do you think it's common that people don't get to a chiropractor until, you know, you're the last ones on the list or they've tried everything or they're in pain? Like it's not just a case of cracking bones, as many would say. Could you describe to us what leads people or draws people to chiropractic care and then give us the fundamentals of it? Yeah. I would say in general that's we're all stimulated by pain right so that's it's a great motivator um and that's generally what brings someone foreign to the profession into it um and that be it both um children in discomfort or adults um and then i think my gift is to be able to communicate very complex topics and make them relatable to average person so um that's what happens in here when I can connect the dots for a lot of people and having a very keen attention for detail, I can almost, and I, I explain it to people, I'm going to read your body like a book and I'm almost going to give you your history back to you, you know, and when you can do that with the, the human body, um, you develop trust quite quickly. And so when with trust, then they'll, they'll trust the process and then when they go through the process, they get results. Um, from a chiropractic point of view, the role of chiropractic in simple terms is to get the body functioning more effectively or more efficiently um, and to optimise what we can do because people can get through life without chiropractic, but what if you could get more from life with chiropractic is kind of the, the questioning, but... Um, once people understand that average is a given and that you can be extraordinary, um, then they start inviting their friends and family to, to practice as well. And then, um, you know, I've got a very, very strong referral base. Uh, so while a lot of people foreign to chiropractic would come in out of pain, we've got a very strong um, contingent of or our community that have been referred in because they've heard great things or they, they want more than what they're currently achieving, which, which is cool. It's, um, it's a cool space to be in because it's a lot more proactive at that point when people come in to get more out of their life, their everyday life. 
So, yeah, hopefully that summarised chiropractic very briefly. I could spend hours talking about that. <laughs> I think what I love about it, I keep hearing from many of you, is it from my perspective it's about honouring the innate intelligence of my body, knowing that my body has the power to move, to function, to actually do hundreds if not thousands of functions every second of every moment that I don't even pay attention to or notice. And I think that's an extraordinary feat in itself. But I'm really curious from your perspective then, what do you think is the biggest driver for pain in the body that gets your clients coming in? What is, is there one particular area of life that is more pronounced than others as far as illness or dysfunction is concerned? Well, I mean, I could say inflammation, right? Inflammation is probably the, the center of all of that. And then, and then you could take a step back, you know, well, inflammation. Okay. So how do we get inflammation? Well, as chiropractors, we talk about the triad of health and there's physical, right? So maybe you pushed yourself physically too hard and that'll generate some inflammation, which is often often associated with soreness that happens the day after. You know, DOMS is um, or the delayed onset muscle soreness is is secondary to causing some inflammation, right? To disrupting the the tissues, which can be um, probably the it can be beneficial. Um, but too much of a good thing can also be detrimental as well. So that's where knowing that fine line between overtraining and training the right amount is super important from a physical point of view. Um, what I think we're seeing a lot of now, which I think people are really turning their attention to, is um, you know the psychosomatic stuff that's happening, the thoughts, the emotions that can stimulate inflammation as well. So um, that's definitely become more apparent in the last couple of years for, for the obvious reasons of isolation and stress about the unknown. Um, but I've always said over the last, you know, ever since I did the pediatric um, chiropractic training, the, the chemical stuff is just so obvious, right? The foods we eat, the environment we live in, um, we'll you know, the, we eat inflammatory foods, right? We eat a lot of food-like products. Um, so it looks like food, but it's synthetic and it's it's hard for our digestive tracts to really process. And so the longer it sits in your gut, the body mounts a, a growing inflammatory task to try and break it down. And um, yeah, so inflammation is the short answer, but it comes from multiple different areas. So you said the triad, physical, chemical. What's the third one? Emotional emotional that sorry you did say it so the emotional side of things i'm really interested in this there's those beautiful thoughts i think it's a henry ford quote if you think you can or you think you cannot you're right and for many people when it comes to healing or management of pain or management of their dysfunction of their body many think that they are sub seduced into for for want of a better word just a a, a a process around a medical treatment as opposed to understanding what it takes for the body to have its own healing processes. What would be your advice to someone who does have pain through stress or emotional upset or thinking that there is only one option? How do you broaden someone's mind to really understand that the body has way more power perhaps than any drug apart from emergency medicine? Yeah, um, 
like, I tell you what, what I do in here is, and you'll understand this um, from the, the NLP side of things, but our choice in language can be, again, detrimental or beneficial. I like to show people that their body has incredible power. And, um, you, I mean, you experienced it recently when we took you through your X-ray findings that I, I swap out words like degeneration for adaptation, right? It's super important to describe it in a different way that gives your body the power back. When I've described that to many people, it blows them away because as an example, degeneration makes everyone feel like they're falling apart and disintegrating, right? And that's not a great feeling to have. When you walk out of the office and you think I'm degenerating, I'm falling apart, you're already glass half empty. Whereas if I highlight that those changes are occurring in your body because of innate intelligence, then it's like, hang on a minute, my body is adapting to the stress that I've continuously put on it. Wow, what if I stimulated it different and it could adapt in a different way? Um, so language is probably the, the first thing I do to, to help start to coach people towards a different paradigm. It's hard to do in one go. So you have to build trust. And I think telling people's story through using your hands and describing what you're feeling and the seeing in their body um, starts that process. And then when you educate them on um, how the body responds to stress, because this, this is a stress navigating vehicle, right? And it's like without stress, it falls apart. With too much stress, it falls apart. Right in the middle, it's perfect. Um, so understanding that uh, gives people the power back. Right, yeah. which is a very different paradigm to, oh, you're going to need this pill for the rest of your life, right? So, Agreed, agreed. Yeah. So can you talk to us then, back to you personally, throughout your life when you were a young man, you obviously didn't know about or have chiropractic care, but do you believe then for our teenagers, because I'm not sure there's enough focus on teenage health that a lot of teens, they want to break away from what their parents are doing or maybe want to do the opposite or, like you said, drink and eat from a car. There's a lot of talk now around, and I'm, I just want to ask your thoughts on this, around veganism and for a lot of teenage girls to move away from eating animal products. Do you think from a nutritional point of view that our teenagers, even our children, and through into adulthood, is that setting us up? for dysfunction, choosing a specific diet at such a young age, or do you think we adapt? The short answer is we can adapt, absolutely. Um, it's this balancing and understanding that, yes, you can get a complete spectrum of everything you need on a vegan regime, absolutely. But it takes a lot of work, right? You have to know what food combinations and where to get food from that, um, that helps you complete your nutritional picture. I often describe it to people as, you know, your body is like the workers and you need to make sure that the workers are busy with all the right building blocks. And, of course, if you've got 10 blokes standing around on a construction site and only one stack of bricks, well, you're going to burn through those building blocks pretty quickly and the job's not going to be complete. Um, and so then everyone's standing around and 
looking at the tradesmen doing nothing, but it's because they don't have the building blocks to finish the job. So as long as you're getting all those building blocks nutritionally, then a, a vegan regime is no problem. But it's, it's, I mean, people make a career out of advising on nutrition, right? So I just, I think it's, it's difficult using Google to get all the right information. Um, and that you have to work with a professional to make sure you've got that complete picture. Um, so, yeah, I think people run a risk at the moment because they don't have the complete picture, but the complete picture is available. You just have to work with someone to get it. Agreed, agreed. And you bring me to the point there of having professionals or team of people in our corners. Yeah. And I would love to ask you for your personal team who who would adam as a chiropractor with all this knowledge and now a fitness king and running his own business married just bought a new home all of the beautiful things and we are at in your life who would you recommend or who is in your corner to support you through life's ups and downs yeah so um my go-to's there's, there's a and we'll get to this eventually i, I don't doubt is is the self-care team right so um, I, I obviously as a chiropractor and I think we should practice what we preach. I get adjusted every day, oh, every day, every week. Um, cause what I do every day is super physical because as a fitness professional, I'm, I'm leading from the front role modeling and the way I go about business as a chiropractor is quite physical as well. So i make sure that physically my innate intelligence is doing its job and has access to every available resource possible so i get adjusted every week um i've got a great naturopath who i work with um, just to make sure that i'm getting all those building blocks that we just discussed to make sure that i'm not missing anything and i'm a big advocate of um if you're not measuring then you can't manage what's what's going on so um, she's got an incredible integrative gp that she works with same building and um, so we, we do bloods occasionally just to make sure everything's in, heading in the right direction and supplement as appropriate. Um, I, I mean, I, I've got a few supplements that I, I like to take to, to drive the, the big engine, I suppose, and make sure that it's, it's being pushed in the right direction without, um, without falling short of fuel. The, then... Um, I've got massage therapists that I'll use quite regularly. So I'll probably have massage once a month. Um, and I think that's important just to, have to, just to budget downtime, you know, to, to lay on your back and have someone put some love and energy into you for, you know, 45, 50 minutes. Um, so I, I do that once a month. Um, I've got a physio colleague that I'll refer to when I've, um, started running again. It's always when I start running of my Achilles is, is something that I don't spend enough time self-loving. Um, but when I, I need the help, then I've got a great physio colleague that I reach out to. Um, and then the other things I do, one of the best things I, I do for myself as well is I love these magnesium floats, right? I just, I love um, the sensory deprivation style where you're in the pod, it's black, there's no sounds, you're floating, um, and, boy, I crash out. I probably, within about five minutes, I'm 
Uh, I'm sure I probably snore in there, but um, that I do that every three weeks. So there's quite a, a turnover of um, self-care and acupuncture as well. I get Chinese medicine and acupuncture as well. So that sounds busy when I say it all out loud. I just think you're really highlighting the importance for us to have different members of our self-care, self-love team. And I really value that. I've actually got a float booked tomorrow, day after tomorrow. So I'm really excited that I did hear, and I don't know how true it is or how valid it is, but one hour of a quality sleep in a float tank is the equivalent of an eight hour sleep in bed. And I just thought for anyone suffering with insomnia maybe we've got to look at the underlying issues of what's causing that but if you want to give yourself a little bit of an energy injection then floating I, I absolutely love the sensory deprivation as well considering what an incredibly sense or heightened world we live in there's one question I want to ask you around sensitivity and sensory we are now spending more times on devices phones computers ipads all of these different things do you honestly think, as a chiropractor, someone who looks at spines every day, are we creating problems with our necks the way we're constantly looking down or reading? We've always read. Is it that any different to looking down or is there something else in your opinion that's altering our health and wellness with um, technology? I, I just think it's the frequency with which we do it. Um, you know, we've, we, we still use the same school desks. We, we can read in a very similar position. We always have and we probably always will. Um, and we even had, you know, school colleagues that would walk around reading books. But even the way you carry a book is, is totally different to how you look at a phone, right? And because I've always been a bit um, sceptical of, like, the device thing because of understanding that, because, like, you and I read books and, we you know, I'd write stories and, I spent so much time drawing and even drawing as going through, that's how I got through university was to draw pictures. But it wasn't until I drove past a bus stop, right, one day and I saw a couple of kids on their phones and their phones were right dead in the middle of their chest, resting on their chest, and their heads were folded at almost at 90 degrees. And I was like, that's the difference. There's no way you'd read a book like that. There's no way you'd sit at your desk like that. And there's no way you do that that frequently. That's, um, and that's the change. I think it's the frequency with which we have access to phones that has changed the way the body is adapting to that stress. So that would be the, the description I, I, would, I would discuss around how that's different to what we used to do. Yeah, and I think obviously the light and looking at the way that we have the Wi-Fi and all of these different things yeah. affecting us. Do you mind, and you don't have to answer this question, but the, the sign of the times right now is very challenging and chiropractors have not been um, looked upon kindly by um, the government as far as being able to practice and do things. And, and yet it's one of the most beautiful modalities that would, and for want of a better word, keep us together. Um, how have you managed getting through this thing called a pandemic and how much has it altered or affected the way you look at the world, view the world or behave as a chiropractor? I think um, for me, and this is probably just off the back of what um, we were talking about with my looking for help, you know, asking for help and um, 
and and you know mum role modeling the fact that if you know if the guy gets tough don't get going get amongst it you know so um yes there was a lot of uncertainty what was that was that 2019 it's hard to work out now 2019 about march yeah there was some uncertainty yeah what was going to happen as far as everyone's livelihood and, and jobs and ability to work and all that sort of stuff but i spent time leaning on some of my um peers for for information um great um business coach in lawrence tam who you'll be familiar with he, he set us on the path to make sure that we had our ducks in a row and to be as well-informed as we could um, and to, to proceed as best we could with the information we had. And so that's essentially the approach I took all the way through the last two years. Yeah, it's two years now, eh? maybe three years. I can't remember where it all started now. <laughs> two years? Three years. Two years for sure, right? Um. So, yeah, and we've been fortunate enough in Queensland to, to never have to really shut down um, private practice. So business has been amazing, um, and I think I've developed a really good trust with my community that when they came in, they asked me all the questions that they'd asked me before, but it was just with a bit more of a fear mindset. But I, the same response is what I said before, you know, every common cold virus, I, I had strategies around anyway. And when people came in to ask how we, we deal with that, it was the same answer. You know, health hasn't really changed at all. Um, and our approach to health and being proactive about our health remains the same. So I've, ke I've kept that continuity going. And amongst my community, that's been really well received because it's kind of like I've acted as the rock um amongst all the turbulence so and that's you how look that's like gone. the rock too you know? oh, thank you very much yeah <laughs> no <laughs> I, think I, really... angle. I think it's the camera angle <laughs> oh, i appreciate it no i just I, I think it's really important to understand this but you know your beautiful wife is a teacher she hasn't had it so easy and whilst i appreciate health hasn't changed at all mm. from a physicality point of view the mental emotional stress has been profound. Profound. Um, how has beautiful Savannah coped through this time? And also as a teacher, what is she doing to move forward? And then perhaps move into the emotional mental side of the effects of our health. Yes. Yeah, so um, my beautiful wife, Savannah, is, has, is currently on leave without pay as, um, as an educator. Um, and... We're fortunate enough she can come uh, work with me at the practice in the meantime. And so that's how we're keeping up the cash flow, so to speak. Um, she is investigating a few other um, like options as far as uh, part-time work and just to, just to make sure that we can keep paying the bills or that sort of stuff. Um, but we decided, and it was a discussion we had, that you know we, we put our health first and um we weren't very excited about trying an experimental um vaccine and so we were also in a position to not have to do it um which meant that as an educator in queensland that you can't participate in education and so we we decided that it was okay to to make that stand um, and 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 represent those who who are not in the same position. 
So we were happy, happy enough with the decision. Does it make it easy? No. Has it taken its toll? Absolutely. Um, my wife is an amazing educator and, and her community is, is worse off without her not being in it. So that's, at the de- that's to the detriment of the community. Um, but, she, like, she has incredible resilience. Uh, my wife is such a beautiful person. Um, and thanks to her mother, her mother role models just getting on with the job. And, like, I'm sure Dawn Savannah's mother had four jobs at one time as a single mom just to put food on the table and make sure the property was looked after and all that sort of stuff. And Savvy hasn't skipped a beat. So she's finding the same solutions to what's a difficult situation. Have I seen this in the practice? Absolutely. The amount of healthcare professionals that have come in that are no longer working in their chosen field, which they are all amazing. Um, yeah, it's taken its toll. Have I um, embraced a few patients and you know helped them? through um, some emotional stress absolutely absolutely um you know for a while there it was every day and um yeah it has it's taking its toll and it's not done yet it's not done yet not until people can get back to work um and and fulfill their vocation um that a lot of people are finding just these alternatives in the meantime which keeps the the dragon at bay so to speak um because they're one foot in and one foot out, which is a really tough place to be emotionally. Um, so, yeah, it's, it has taken its toll and I'm seeing it manifest physically as well. So definitely a lot more emotional stuff um, across the last two years um, and we'll, we'll continue to see it until things return to uh, the new normal. Yeah, it's certainly not the old normal, is it? <laughs> no. um- I'm really interested to just go back on a little comment you said earlier about being in Queensland and we're very privileged to live in this part of the world and places like WA, Victoria, New Zealand, there's a number of places. Again, you don't have to answer this, but there seems to be, and I'm not sure how this is happening and I'm wondering if you can help me to understand, but how has politics become such a driver for health? How do politicians understand what our health needs are to instigate such harsh measures and censorship so that we do not get to seem to feel like we have a freedom of choice, whether we're pro or anti? How is a politician able to tell us what to do with our health? Yeah, I mean, that's the question, isn't it? It's like they... Uh, uh, they're punching outside of their their way. They're outside of their jurisdiction um, for the most part, and you know there is a there is a chief chief health officer. And so while they may have experience in the health professions, are they experienced in pandemics? Absolutely not, because you know, thankfully we haven't had to go through this multiple times in in our lifespan, but. Um, I think this is highlighted by the, the confusion that exists from state to state, from country to country. You know, if, if it was, um, if everyone was working together, it would be clearer, right? And if everyone was open-minded about it, um, but they're all trying to reinvent the wheel in each jurisdiction. 
And I get that. From a government point of view, that's got to be tough because the population in Queensland is going to be different to Victoria and different, again, to Western Australia. Um, and so every community needs to be addressed slightly different. But, um, you know, health in general um, would remain the same in each state. Yes, there's probably some environmental factors that may slow or speed things up, but in general... Um, the, the political side of stuff, I can understand the difficulties, but um, it's the inconsistencies that are frustrating everyone. And for some reason, these people who we had no idea of their names before are now front and centre. And sometimes I just wonder, and, you know, with respect, I just, I don't know if I'd want their job ever. So not sure how I understand it, but I'm choosing to sit in a place of love and look at it and trust and pray that we all get through this together rather than Absolutely. against each other. Absolutely. You talk so openly about chiropractic care and your beautiful journey um, with weight loss and all of these things. I'd be really interested to understand now, you said something at the very beginning that self-care, a self-care team is so important to you in all realms to have all modalities, whichever ones light you up and support you the most. For many, that's seen like us as an investment, but for others, it's seen as an expense. I'd love to know how you could persuade us into realizing that health is our greatest asset and greatest investment, but also then Maybe your definition of self-love would be appropriate to bring in here. Yeah, good question. Persuading someone who doesn't see health as a priority is a big job. That's and It might be insurmountable until they realise they're losing the only thing they've ever had. Um, and unfortunately, that's what I, I see. Some people are raised in a culture where um, health is a priority, movement is a priority, fitness is a priority. So um, they're already in that proactive state of mind, whereas those who do not prioritise that will often be forced to prioritise it at some stage. Uh, my dad and his colleagues are in that age group where cardiovascular disease is a bit of a higher risk um, mainly because of body shape and lifestyle and it's not until someone has a heart attack that they start prioritizing their health so unfortunately it, it for those who don't make it a priority it becomes a priority when they significantly lose it and it takes a life-changing event to often kickstart someone who hasn't had that mindset ever in their life. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a bit around the bush answer, but I think um, leading by example is how I've done it, is a, is a very passive-aggressive approach. Um, and because I'm, I'm, um, I, I don't buy into the ageing um, discussion is probably the politically correct way of saying that. Um, and so I'm still out there. I'm running. I'm, I'm surfing. Um, but I, I continue to do things that shouldn't be done. I, I was, I don't know, maybe fortunate enough to dislocate my shoulder last year, um, surfing, two fractures, and then healthy enough to go back to work and keep adjusting on Monday. Um, I shouldn't have been able to do that. 
And I and people say I was lucky, and I, I disagree. I, I I say I was fortunate enough to have prioritised my health for the last twenty years. That my healing journey um, is a lot faster than those would expect. So. Um, I think persuading someone who doesn't prioritise health is is a big task, but it's easier to lead by example, and that's that's kind of how I approach my community. And with that in mind, then knowing that to make health a priority is a gesture of love for oneself, what would be your definition of self love? I um, I've been dwelling on this for what two weeks now since you invited me to come and join the chat so i've got a couple of scribings here but this is what occurred to me i I do a lot of my thinking in the car when i've got my own sanctuary and my own space and i thought because i talk about self-love and self-care and the difference between self-love and selfish and i was like all right so i've got one end of the spectrum and selfish but what's the other end of the spectrum and that'd be selfless and so self-love sits somewhere in between the two ends of the spectrum where selfless is doing something or pursuing something for others at the expense of yourself and then selfish is doing something or pursuing something at the expense of others, then self-love is somewhere in between and that would be doing or pursuing something for the love of yourself and not at the expense of others. Um, but to honour yourself, to respect yourself, uh, to take care and responsibility for yourself and recognising that you deserve to be well, to be loved, to be cherished and take um, all necessary steps um, to, at a minimum, preserve your well-being but generally work on improving your well-being. Um, and I think self-love collects many different selves Um, including self-development, self-care, self-interest, self-reflection. And I I think if you're working on oneself for yourself and not at the expense of others, that's a demonstration of self-love. So they're the musings of my mind. Dr. Adam, oh, my gosh, (laughs) I love all of that. And I really appreciate the way you've gone into that. I'd never thought about it sitting in the middle and seeing it in such a profound way, but that makes it really clear because for many people, you know, and one of the quotes that I've been quoted as saying is self-love or self-care is not selfish, it's essential. Yeah. And I, all, I, I really truly believe to love another, one must love oneself first. To be loved, we must show how we deserve to be loved. What do you think then from this whole, if self-love is the foundation for us, what is then the difference between self-belief and confidence to love oneself, in your opinion? The difference between self-belief and self-confidence. I think that um, we're probably picking at fine hairs here, but self-belief, would come from a place where you understand your capabilities and recognise those capabilities and then maybe self-confidence, you might still be, you can be self-confident and and have self-belief and be in the right place, but perhaps sometimes self-confidence might lead you to persuade you that you believe what might not be true. 
that's it's it's a hair bender right like I, yeah. I often sat there looking at all of these self words and then I had one person I interviewed who also said in the word self the capital s is more of a spiritual self than a um, just a selfish way of looking at self and I've just it's just become this this incredible conversation I keep having with myself around self and it's it's quite a mind bender so your love of language is just made me want to go down that path I thank you for that <laughs> for that bit of play then um uh, you know you live on the sunshine coast you are a fitness instructor you have a beautiful energy you also have a real fascination and love of wine and I would just love to hear a little bit more about what is your interest there and how has that maybe is there a, a direct metaphor to life with wine and it's maturing because a wine gets better with age right it can, and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> um, what would the connection be there is, it, I mean, right now, the first word that comes to my mind is curiosity. Curiosity. I was fortunate enough to start a, a wine club, which was more of a gentleman's club in, in Perth with a good, great group of mates. Um, and it really switched my appreciation from wine when i started drinking wine wine was either good or bad and um and having started the club i wanted to investigate that more because i was curious i was like well how, how can a wine that's not good now be good later and and then investigate what why is it good or why is it bad you know and understand those components so um, curiosity was what was driving me and understanding um, how the noble grape can provide that. And uh, it, it, I mean, it is a metaphor for life. If you are curious about life and, and want to investigate its little intricacies, it's not always good and bad. And there is room for growth in both directions. Um, I guess it's just not black and white. So... Yeah, I think my love of wine and appreciating it um, and appreciating it with people, that, I mean, that was something I was thinking about with self-love is well, self in the word itself recognises that there is something other than self. So there must be other um, to understand self. So if there's good wine, there must be bad wine. Or if um, there's red wine, there's got to be white wine, right? So there's... There's always something else and there's something in the middle, right? You could have, you know, now they've got um, a, a variation of rosés, which is something in the middle, right? They left the, the grapes on the skin for a bit longer and now what would usually be a white wine looks a little darker and it's somewhere in the middle. So it's really cool to, to see that across all things. Um, I guess what we're getting at there is that it's not all black and white. And if you are curious about things, then you'll go looking to understand it deeper and you can come back to it well-informed. So I, I used to be absolute as a young man, you know, like chiropractic is the only way and medicine is the devil and, um, and it's just not that simple. It's just not that simple. So um, coming at it with an open mind and being willing to learn um, is how I approach wine. And then, you know, it's, it's best to drink wine with other people as well. So go through this terrestrial existence we call life 
with other people, share it with people, experience it. And that's how I'd use wine as a metaphor for life. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I also love the fact that from an aromatic point of view that Mm. when you smell a wine and release its components in the glass or from the bottle or let it sit or and I'm not an expert by any shape of the imagination but my interest in aromatics is certainly akin to wine as it is with essential oils and I'm sure there's characteristics and personality with grapes and wines and and I just it's really nice to have a conversation with someone like you around it who knows a hell of a lot more than me I just know that when I went to the part of France, Champagne, where I got to see Verve and Moet in its truest form was was a sheer delight, I have to say. So, We'd call that essential wine, wouldn't we? I would call that a sensual <laughs> experience as well. So it was just, yeah, it was amazing. I just, I really appreciate it. And, and I think I've always had a dream. I don't know about you, but we, we did different, different wine tours in Italy, Spain and France. And to see generations of families who have cured these vines and 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 tended to their absolute every need. And I guess I'm doing full circle with you now. There is a lot of chemistry and engineering in creating a good wine. There's community and then there's an innate intelligence of the land and the way that we feed these beautiful plants. And, and then there's this beautiful ability to understand a good one from a bad one by understanding both swings of the pendulum and realizing that there is an ability to sit beautifully in the middle as well. And I just, you know, the the self-love podcast listener is someone who is curious, back to your point on curiosity. And and what I love is them getting to hear people like you who have a different viewpoint or a different lens on life. If there was one message to give to the self-love podcast listener, what would you want them to know? What would be Adam Epscamp's beautiful, defining um, moment of inspiration that he could give to this beautiful listener? The the one that occurs to me most was um, the way you do anything is a reflection on the way you do everything. And, I mean, as like in, uh, integrity is one of my highest values. And so, you know, I... I do everything to the best of my ability, everything. And, and I think that comes through with all my endeavours. And, um, and I, just, I just believe it wholeheartedly. And, and, and I see it out on the road too. So someone who cuts a corner, I'm like, what other corners are you cutting in your life, you know? I, I make sure I go, I follow all the way around, do the, the corner correctly, use my indicators, all that sort of stuff, because the way you do anything is a reflection on the way you do everything. That's... That's my little nugget right there. Yeah, I think it's powerful. I remember training for one of my ultra marathons on this note, just up in the Dandenongs in Victoria. And Cliff Young, I cut the corner to avoid um, crashing into a couple of the other guys. And instead of waiting to go in behind them, I just cut the corner. And I'll never forget his words, cut corners in training, you'll cut corners in life. And is it worth it to you? And, I've, and you know, I can walk with Cindy, I'll be out walking with people and, I don't cut corners and they're like, what no. are you doing? And I, I just can't, I can't cut corners. I can't. 
So I agree with you wholeheartedly. Is there anything that you would love to bestow on the self-love podcast listener? What would be your one wish for someone who takes the time to listen to something like this and gives us their incredible time to hear the two of us speaking and enjoying a conversation such as this? Is there any final message you'd love to give to this beautiful soul? I think after our discussions today, be curious. Be curious, be kind, and and enjoy it. Show enjoyment too. Yeah. I think that's that's something we overlook a lot now. And I'll be guilty of it. Some days I'm not showing as much enjoyment um, as I should, but um, I think I've I think I've got a good resting bitch face. But I just think that, yeah, be curious, be open-minded. Be kind. I've learned that over the years, that what you think is happening, what is actually happening are two very different things. Um, and, yeah, but have fun at the same time. We're not here for long. You know, we're not here for long, so enjoy it. I think one of the important things around that too is I think we haven't said it, but the word celebration, which is going to bring me back to wine, no. um, but um, <laughs> celebrating our wins, our joys, our um, celebrating boredom, for want of a better word. I was talking to someone the other day that they just said, oh, life seemed a bit mundane. And I said, you know what? I'd enjoy the mundane more than a big tragedy. So just enjoy and celebrate the mundane, you know, don't take yeah. it for granted. Um, but I really appreciate that. And I'm looking forward to our glass of rosé together. I know you've got us a special bottle, so I'm looking just forward to that. Ready to go. <laughs> um, I really want to say, if anyone wanted to follow you or learn more about your approach to uh, functional medicine, for want of a better word, chiropractic care, nutrition, and your ability to understand the way the body works, where could we follow you, sweetheart? So uh, on the social medias, um, I'm not awesome at um, all the new stuff like the TikToks, but I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram. So on Facebook as a chiropractor, there's Dr. Anamev Scam, the silverback chiropractor. Um, and then on Instagram, it'll be Dr. Underscore Cairo. Oh, Adam, hang on, bear with me. I've got to think about my own tags here. Dr. Underscore Adam underscore Cairo. And then those who love fitness, I do have my own um, high-intensity program on a bike, and that's called Ride Revolution. So I think it's The Ride Revolution on Facebook, and it will be The underscore Ride underscore Revolution on Instagram. Um, and there are associated websites for those as well, but, um, yeah, probably easiest to follow me on the socials because they're more dynamic than my web pages. Well, I think you're dynamic no matter what, whether you're on social media or not. You're a beautiful soul, an incredible man and someone who I value and respect dearly. So thank you so much for being on the Self Love Podcast. It's been a treat. Thank you so much, Kim. It was, it was, it was a treat. I, I had no idea where this was going to go. So uh, <laughs> I'm pleased I got to share it with you. Thank you so much for having me. And um, thank you, listeners, for um, bearing with my the the madness that occurs upstairs in my mind. Madness or beauty? I think I'll stick to beauty. Go with beauty. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Thank you so much, sweetheart. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family and head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care.
This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.